Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott, and today we have a special guest, Neil Bawa. What's up, my friend? How are you doing today? Fantastic, Brandon. I'm uh, very excited to be on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on. It's been a long time. Last time we uh, connected, it was in Phoenix and at the syndication workshop, so that was awesome finally getting to connect with you there. And I was just blown away by all the, I mean, your background, you come from the tech industry. I'm a geek, yeah. geek, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Your friends call you the mad scientist. So I, I think the breakdown of location has been amazing from what I've heard from you in the past. And I know the listeners, it would be doing a disservice if we didn't actually get this content out there to them. So I want to get you to break down location, 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 how to really figure that out. And then I I do want to talk a little bit on virtual assistants as well, because at this point, I know you have about 18 and crushing it in all different areas. But before that, anybody that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving in a little bit, giving them a background of who you are, where you come from and and what you're up to today? Sure. So as uh, Brent mentioned, I'm a Silicon Valley based tech geek that got into real estate in reverse. Most people start real estate with a single family rental or with some private lending. In my case, my company, which is a technology education company, my CEO asked for my help to build campuses from scratch in 2003. We were very successful. We were growing quickly. And just like Apple built a spaceship campus, we didn't want to rent. We wanted to build a campus that was custom designed for our needs. So with his help, I ended up building that campus in 2003 and 2004. And it was a terrifying time because we had nine months and three days to basically get that campus built in time. Otherwise, we'd pay $10,000 a day in fines to our landlord, General Motors. I think I ended up paying that fine for one day, but it was absolutely a terrifying experience as I went through it with very little sleep, probably slept nine hours in nine months. Wow. But at the end of it, the learning was so incredible that I felt like a different person. I felt like I'd learned a completely new skill. And that campus was so pivotal. Real estate can sometimes be so pivotal to a company's growth that in two years, we had maxed out the campus. Our competitors simply couldn't compete with us. And we had to go and build a second campus, which was more expensive. And we ended up doing an informal syndication with nine doctors to make that second campus work. And, you know, that second campus, well, I ended up being one of the people that ended up buying a share in that informal syndication. And for the first time in a long time, Brandon, my salary went up and my taxes went down. (laughs) And when you're a tech guy with a big fat tech salary in in living in Taxifornia, That is a big aha moment, right? When you see your taxes go down and your salary go up at the same time. So it was wonderful. Lights are going. Oh my God, ding, 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 ding. How can I get, do more of this stuff, right? Because at some point I felt like I was just working for the IRS, you know, paying 53% tax in California. Believe it or not, people pay 53% of their annual income as taxes in California. And you don't really have to be the mega rich, you you know, to yeah. do that. You, you basically just, the big fat tech salary will get you there. Yep. And so I was, I felt like I wasn't making any progress until I learned real estate. And then all of a sudden I was making humongous progress. 
And so I ended up buying 10 single families in California and that went really well. And then I bought 10 triplexes in Chicago and they were purchased in one of the most horrible neighborhoods in the US. And it took me a long, long time to get them rented out, to get them sold. And I basically lost, I didn't lose money, but I lost millions of dollars of opportunity in, you know, in this uptime, yep. years and years of opportunity, I could have easily doubled the million and a half that I'd invested in Chicago. And the pain of that, that the extreme pain that I went through trying to stabilize those 10 triplexes in Chicago and trying to basically trying to uh, get out of it was so intense that I made a promise to myself that whatever I was learning about why things went wrong in Chicago, I would tell as many people in the world as I could about my story. The story would be free. It would be based on measurements and metrics, not, not just ideas. Because Brandon, you get lots of people on these podcasts that come up with great ideas. But I wanted something that was tangible, was specific, right? And so I, I started doing my research and eventually came up with a system called Real Focus. And Real Focus is a system of 10 metrics, five at a city level and five at a neighborhood level. And those metrics, in my mind, drive your profit in real estate, regardless of whether you're doing single family or multifamily. I've never tried to apply them to anything except single family and multifamily. Maybe they work for student housing or, or senior housing as well. But my focus was single family and multifamily, and I find that they work really well. They are not rules. It's not genius level stuff. But for the most part, they appear to apply to just about any metro and any neighborhood in the U.S., and significantly improve your chances of buying the right kind of real estate. Also, my goal was that they should be so simple that if you had an address in the US, it should take no more than 20 minutes to apply the 10 rules, right? So two minutes per rule, 20 minutes, and you should be able to say thumbs up, thumbs down, or maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so those were all beginning you know, systems for creating the real focus system. Now the system is completely created and I'm looking to improve it. I'm looking to add a few pieces to it. So it'll go from 10 to 12 metrics, always looking for improvement, right? I love and, it. But the 10 metrics that we have right now, you know, I, I'd love to discuss the first five on the show because I, I think that's all we'll have time for. Yeah. And, and those five metrics, I call them 800 pound gorillas. I basically say, we're so fixated on the roof and the foundation and what the tenants are paying and what the leases look like that we forget that the things that control our success and failure in rentals are things outside of the property, right? I'm not saying that the roof and the foundation are not important, yeah. but you could have a property with everything, the roof, the foundation, the units are in perfect order. There's two tenants in a duplex and you think you're going to make huge amounts of money. Well, I have news for you it's very likely that you could lose money every single month because those tenants, maybe they put in a month ago just so that the unit could be sold to you. And oh, what yeah. really controls your profit, and, and most people don't get how huge this is, is the 800-pound gorillas, and here they are, five gorillas. I'm going to name them, and then we can, we can deep dive into them if you like that. Okay. Yeah, before we dive into that, just for one second, just so people know exactly the caliber of, of a man that you are uh, currently. I mean, you have over 1,800 units. You've dealt with, what, $150 million in your current portfolio? Well, those numbers are all old, Brandon. So we're, we're over 2,000 units. We're over $200 million in our portfolio. And it's uh, multifamily and student housing for the most part. We also do new construction projects. So what's not included in, that, in there fully 
is a hundred million dollars worth of new construction that is in process. So when when that's complete, we'll we'll be well over three hundred million. Unbelievable! I love it. <laughs> it's unbelievable just to think about and and to wrap your head around. I, I think that's awesome, and it's something for the listeners out there to realize that it is possible to do similar activities that you're in involved with, and they could actually probably be a part of something in the future. I'm sure. I think it's possible to scale 10x or 100x beyond what I've done. I think what's be- what's beautiful is multifamily and syndication in particular has tremendous scale. Yeah. And if you set your goals right, if you really believe in what you're doing, I think that in my mind, 300 million is a small portfolio. Actually, in the US, it's not even considered midsize. 500 million is considered midsize. And then there's many, many portfolios of one to five billion dollars in the US. And then there's many portfolios of the five to $50 billion size in the US. So I think that there's a lot of scale and growth possible in multifamily, which is, I think, what excites you and what, what excites me. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, uh, it's awesome. definitely inspirational. So let's dive into these monsters right now. All right. So, so here's my five gorillas, right? So number one is population growth. Not population, but the growth in the population. Number two, I'm looking for income growth. So household income growth. Number three, I'm looking for home price growth. Number four, I'm looking for job growth. And number five, I'm looking for crime reduction. Not a certain level of crime, but a reduction in the level of crime. These 800-pound gorillas control so many things. They control the price. They control price increases. They control rent increases. They control how long people stay at your units. They control the cap rates. And so much, so much more. The quality of the tenant base, a lot of that is really controlled by how big or small are these 800-pound gorillas. So let's jump into the first one, right? Population growth. And it's the easiest one because you can take any city in the U.S. that you're interested in, big or small, and type in the word population space, name of city, space, name of state. So it could be something like population space, Fremont, California, which is a small city that I live in, in Northern California. And Google will give you a very nice map. And that very nice map will give you the population number as it stands today, which is a few years ago, actually. It's not, it's not 2019 numbers. And then it'll give you the benchmark number in 2000. Okay. If you compare those two numbers, the 2000 number and the most recent year number, if the population has grown by a minimum of 20% during that time, that is usually a very good city to invest in. So 20% population growth, benchmark year is 2000. The latest year is the other year you have to look at. And by the way, I'll give you some guidelines to where you can find all these rules written out with exceptions for very large and very small cities and also a rule that allows you to apply this in the future. Because obviously you want that 20% number to go up as the years go by. Yeah. So I've got all this stuff written out and I'll, I'll share that information with, with the people that are watching this podcast. So, so that's population. You want, you want that 20% population benchmark growth. Now, in certain cases, we accept less. So this is one of those rules where 15% still works, 14 works. What you don't want is 5% population growth over 20 years because that's not even accounting for the typical birth rate level. So that that particular city is going backwards or negative population growth like Detroit, Michigan, right? We hear about Detroit turning around all the time. And the question I want to ask all those people that say Detroit is turning around is, could you show me a single year in the last 50 years where Detroit's population has not declined? One year, just one, please, right? Anytime. I'll wait. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, no one is going to be able to show that to you because the population declines every single year. So in my mind, Detroit is doing well until the next recession. That is the true way to say that thing. So 
Yeah, I mean, Detroit's doing well because all the other cities have done well. Exactly. So it's basically an all ships rising effect. But the moment the next recession hits, everything separates. Cities that have great fundamentals like Phoenix are probably going to keep doing well. They're just going to slow down. And cities that have terrible fundamentals like Detroit are going to crash and burn. That is my expectation and my experience. And so that is why I don't invest in Detroit, even though right now it's doing well, because I've seen the consistent population declines. Sure. That's population. The second one is also straightforward. Um, You go to city-data.com, that's city-data.com, and you type in the name of your city. So let's say Fremont, California, the city that I live in, and you hit enter, scroll down just about six inches on the page, and you'll notice that there's a place that shows you the median household income. And there's two numbers shown there. There's two numbers on the same line. You just have to make sure that the newer number is 30% higher than the older number. Newer number, 30% higher than the older number. So you want a 30% income growth in that time frame that's shown on that line. And that gives you enough for rent growth. Because remember, we're all trying to make money from rent growth. Rent growth is the magic. Yeah. If people are not making more money every year, how are they going to pay you more in rents? That's true. Right? So it's very, very important that 30% be the minimum number. These days, I even tell people, if you can get to 40% on that number, even better for you, because then you won't have any trouble at all raising rents. But 30 is a, is a, is a good benchmark number. So for, no less than the 30. You don't want income levels to be increasing less than 30%, correct? Okay. Over, over the time frame on that line. Now, the third rule is right there on that page, two inches below the second rule. The third rule says... If you've got population growth and if you've got growth in income, that's going to lead to an even bigger growth in home prices. Yes. So the third rule says we want a 40%, not 20, not 30, but a 40% increases, increase in home prices. And the home prices are just on that same page, about an inch lower, you'll see median home or condo value. And again, you'll see two numbers on the same line, compare the two of them. And if the difference is over 40%, you're good to go. Now, because we're in the ninth year of a cycle, this is another one of those rules that I encourage people to push up, right? So go for 50, go for 60. Places like Phoenix and Orlando have doubled, right? Lots of markets like Atlanta are up 60 or 70%. So go above 40 if you can, but certainly don't go below 40 because it's got to be an extraordinarily awful place for it not to have gone up 40% with nine consecutive years of expansion right? And this is one of the biggest expansions in real estate in history. So if it's below 40, you really need to ask why you're looking to get into this place, right? What are you looking for, right? Because it's, it's way below average. So don't go below 40. Feel free to go above 40 when you're looking at the numbers. So that's number three. Number four is crime. And it's on that same city data page, but you got to scroll, keep scrolling for like a while yeah. and you'll see a, a table, a crime table, that ends with a blue line. So it's got a a light blue line. And what you have to look at it is in that blue line, the leftmost number and the rightmost number are important, right? Ignore the rest of the table, the murders, rapes, burglaries, assaults. You just ignore that. Just go to the the bottom line, which is the the city data crime index. The number on the most, on the rightmost, try to go to cities where that number is lower than 500, okay? And the number on the left should be much higher than the number on the right. What does that mean? Crime is reducing because the number on the left was older years. The number on the right is current years. So what you want is something like uh, Columbus, Ohio, where in 2003, the number was 800. 
and now it's 414. Yeah. So when that crime decrease is so consistent and so smooth, guess what's happening? Crime is very directly correlated with property values, but inversely correlated. A smooth reduction in crime results in a smooth increase in prices, Mm. right? So you want to see that smooth reduction. You don't want to see a a city that's bouncing like crazy, high crime, low crime, high crime. You want to see a smooth and consistent decline in, in crime because that will mean that your home prices will keep going up smoothly and which means that apartment rents can keep going up smoothly. Yeah, this is exactly where uh, my real estate portfolio is probably struggling a little bit because of the location. Right, and right. I'm a big believer. I like I love CityData.com. I utilize them first and foremost and preach them. I just I wasn't diving into the the nitty gritty, the analytical stuff of the numbers, which I should be. So I'm so glad and thankful that that you're breaking this down. Yeah, and and it's not bulletproof. I've seen the numbers not be right sometimes. Okay. But if you look at 20 or 30 cities, they may be wrong for one of them. So I think it, it is a usable system. I'll also give you a paid system that's better. I want to give you a free system first. And then there's if you can other pay a small amount of money. There's other websites like uh, USA.com, bestplaces.net, and then exactly. census.gov, correct? Yep. All of those work. I think the same rules apply. Sure. And you can use the, you know, bestplaces.net is actually also a very nicely organized website. Yep. I just mentioned City Data because they've been around for a while. Some of these websites come and go, and City yep. Data has been around for 10 years. Yep. So I'm, I'm hoping that it'll stay around. And then the last piece is not on City Data. It's not on Best Places. It's not on census.gov. It is on a website called the Department of Numbers, and that's jobs, right? So the fifth gorilla is jobs. So it's dept.numbers.com slash employment slash metros. Once again, dept.numbers.com slash employment slash metros. This is my favorite page to look at on the internet because on this page, you can see that we live in two different Americas, the America we left behind and the rest of America. Yeah. Because there's a number of columns on this page. The, the column on the, on the far right is the one you want to look at, which is job growth over the last 12 months in percentages. So the rule is simply this, 2% job growth in a metro will lead to at least 2% rent growth in most cases, sometimes higher. 3% job growth, you're going to be really, really happy. If there's 3% job growth, it's very easy to get 3% rent growth. At 4%, you're ordering champagne bottles. At 5%, you're doing the naked dance on the street with the champagne bottle, right? What's good news is that there are cities in the US consistently between 4 and 5%, Okay. right? Places like St. George tend to be between 4 and 5%. Reno tends to be between 4 and 5%. There's a number of other cities that are between 4 and 5%. But even cities between 3 and 4% will give you tremendous yield. Sure. So those are cities to look at. What's sad is that after nine years of expansion and 23 million new jobs being created, there are hundreds of cities in the U.S. losing jobs. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people trying to sell you turnkey properties in those cities. For sure. You want to be very careful to stay away from those. Yeah. So. That particular page will give you job information. It's real time. It's over the last 12 months. You don't look at jobs over like 10 years or 15 years. It doesn't work well. You yeah. look at jobs as an immediate snapshot. So it's a 12-month snapshot on that page, and it's a government page. And the numbers are actually, they're, they're like two or three months old. So they're very, very current. Now, what is the website that you were saying that's the paid one? Is that the department? In my mind, it's so it's neighborhoodscout.com. I find that it's significantly better for everything except jobs data. They don't they don't carry jobs data, but it's significantly better than city data for everything. But you are paying a fee. Sure. I think it is a ridiculously low fee. I think that this 
These guys should actually charge more for their service. I think 39 bucks a month gets you 10 reports so you can plug in 10 different addresses. Besides all of the things that I just mentioned, there is an incredible amount of powerful and useful information that is available on Neighborhood Scout. Yes. Not to mention that if you have investors, you can just capture the graphs that are on Neighborhood Scout and use them in your presentation. They're, they're beautiful, beautifully laid out graphs. I love that. So check out neighborhoodscout.com. We always do both. So we always do look at city data and Neighborhood Scout. And we find that sometimes the city data uh, data is old. Okay. And neighborhood Scout is more current. Now with some of the, the higher growth as far as... I think you said like Reno, they have four to 6% potentially. Now, is there any indications that those could slow down and they probably will slow down in the near future and then uh, start correcting a little bit, but it's obviously going to still be a lot better than other areas, I guess. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I think that some of those could go backwards, even though they've had very high you know, growth. So for example, Denver looks really awesome using yeah. real focus system but Denver is really expensive at this point of time. The rents have gone up so much and their home prices have gone up so much. So one thing that would be useful to accompany the real focus system are the following words plugged into Google, right? Ready? These are actual words that you're plugging into Google. Ingo, I-N-G-O, Ingo, first name, last name, Windsor, W-I-N-Z-E-R, Windsor, then the word Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S, Forbes, and then home prices. Now, when you plug these five words into Google, you will see data from a guy named Ingo Windsor who runs, oh God, for, I'm blanking out on his company, but localmarketmonitor.com. Mm. And Local Market Monitor is a paid service that costs a thousand bucks. But Ingo, every couple months on the Forbes website, publishes cities that in his mind are close to a bubble. And that data is very good to combine. So like if you, if you look at Ingo's stuff, he's like, ooh, Denver is getting way above income price, right? So when, when you have the price going way above income price levels, then a bubble's developing because people obviously can't afford to pay that much. Yeah. And sooner or later, that city will correct, right? We don't know when, but it'll correct. And it looks like Denver may already be beginning to correct. San Francisco Bay Area is, has also been correcting for the last nine months. And yeah. for the nine months before that, Ingo was predicting that it would happen. So I think if you take his data, right, and these are articles on Forbes, and you match them up, I think it's useful. The challenge is only big cities are in that list that Ingo provides. If your city is a bit smaller, then you have to go buy a local market monitor subscription, which I also recommend. I tell people, if you spend $1,000 on data, you haven't spent any money. Yeah. What you've done is you've just made ten dollars or $100,000. Exactly. The data is seriously like that's where you should be pouring money into because the data, as long as you're getting good data, that's, that's where all the money is at. The data is the difference between you being on a, on a call with your property manager yelling at him all year yeah. or you not being on those calls and instead of going once a month because your property is doing better than projected. Yep. I love right? that. So I think that's what's going to be the difference between true data users and others that are just not giving a damn. Yeah. Now these five different steps, would you recommend this? I know you mentioned in the beginning that it, this is meant for the city as well as the neighborhood. So these you're all city level. So all everything city. I just gave you is five city level. Perfect. There's five other metrics that you can't do on a podcast because they, they involve a map. Oh. And but I wanted to make sure that everybody that I talk to on a podcast has access to those. So I created a 90-minute video-driven course on udemy.com. 
So you can, you know, put that in the show notes. It's yeah. udemy.com slash real focus, or you can just search for udemy.com space Neil Bawa. Either way, the course will come up. It's free. Take it. You can skip the entire first half if you want to, because we just discussed that in, in the podcast, or you can take it because I'm, you know, doing it in a longer way with more examples than we've yeah. had time to do in this podcast. But the second half of that course is how do you figure out the best neighborhoods in America? And it uses five completely different metrics. The first one was numbers-based. The second one is map-based. So the neighborhood work is all based on a map, which mm-hmm. is also on city-data.com. So look at those metrics. By the time you finish the course, you'll know about neighborhoods. Because you, know, you, you, can, you can go into a great city like Orlando or, or, yeah. or Provo, and you can still get into a horrible neighborhood in that city. And which, unfortunately, there's more homes for, for sale in horrible neighborhoods today than in good neighborhoods. So that's probably what you're going to end up getting. So it's important to know the neighborhood level as well. So uh, udemy.com slash real focus. The course will also give you access to Excel spreadsheets that I've created where you just plug the numbers in. It gives you a thumbs up and thumbs down. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. That's tremendous value. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it is just like you said, the more houses are up for sale in the areas that aren't, they're less favorable. And there's a reason behind that. Yep. Cool. Let's talk about, so we just covered everything that anybody really needs to know, plus some that you can dive into on the webinar later on to really be able to dive into the location and figure out the best spot for somebody to invest in. And then as far as VAs go, you have 18 at this point. We have 18 active VAs. Some of them are part-time. Uh, a dozen of them are full-time employees, and then about six of them are part-time. And they're, they work in every aspect of our business, you know, yeah. investor management, lead generation, lead processing, setting up phone calls, tenant processing, tenant lead generation. They do delinquency management, reputation management, renewal management. They do you know, community building for our properties and probably two dozen other things that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, it's it's a huge spreadsheet. I'm sure it just goes on and on, which is awesome. Now, I am a true believer that leverage is key to getting to that next level. And as we grow and hire on more virtual assistants to be able to help us get the daily tasks done and uh, and be more remote from the business, work heavily on the business instead of in the business. What do you recommend any of the listeners out there? how they can scale by, by setting up the virtual assistants for success? Well, the first thing I recommend is I want you guys to think about the word leverage. If you're watching Brandon Elliott's podcast, you know that you cannot buy real estate today without the use of leverage. We know that you know if you want to buy a $100,000 building, $25,000 down, 75 leverage, correct? Yep. And that leverage is what makes your real estate profits possible, yep. correct? Now, Think of virtual assistants as human leverage. That's right. They are human leverage in about 20 years so that we've got about 20 years to to go through the shift. It would be silly for, it would be impossible for anyone to make money on real estate if they didn't have the human leverage. So we are now expanding into a worldwide virtual workforce where we have access to the talents of people in every country in the world. And a lot of people might think that, you know, some of you think that we, we only have people in the Philippines. No, they're all over the place, actually, with the Philippines being the biggest piece. So it's Philippines and India and Bulgaria and, and you know, places like, you know, places in Eastern Europe. We've got people in Mexico. To us, it doesn't really matter where they live. We're, we're yeah. just looking for talent everywhere. We're looking for three categories of people, 
general virtual assistants that basically just do a thousand different jobs, CSRs or customer service reps that just are phone pounders. They basically do 30,000 phone calls a year. They, they do something like maybe 50,000 text messages, 100,000 ringless voicemails. Those people are called CSRs and they're on chat and you know, they're on Facebook basically answering questions from tenants. So that's the CSR category, the G- GVA or general VA category. And then the third category are specialists that do specific things, edit videos, they shoot drone video, they're um, doing Facebook ads, they're doing a wide variety of things. They're transcribing our podcast so that we, we get Google indexing. They're doing search engine optimization. They are posting you know, on Facebook, inviting a thousand people to be friends with me on Facebook and a million other tasks like that, but they're specific. That's, what, that's all they do all day long. Yeah. And I think that one of the key things that I want to tell you, Brandon, is every single time I think I am better than those people at those tasks, and these are people that we pay five bucks an hour, every single time I've been wrong. They're always better because they're structured to do that. They that's do fair. it all day long. So they beat the crap out of you every single day, every single time. I love that. It is so true. I know my virtual assistant, he is a beast. He knocks out things uh, very quickly and, and exactly, you know, better than I ever could. So it's, it's actually amazing. It's truly incredible scale. Um, yeah. We've gotten to the point where, you know, we have seven employees in the US and we're done. Uh, I think that I doubt that we will be hiring a U.S. employee. I think we're probably going to hire another 10 to 12 virtual assistants before we hire them in the U.S. We do believe in the blended model. We believe that a model which is all VA in the Philippines doesn't work well. We used to be where, you know, one U.S. employee leads to two people in the Philippines. Now we're kind of more thinking we can get that up to three with systems and processes and audits and checkpoints, but I'm not sure that it'll go much above three. So there's still, there's very much a room for the U.S., right? And just like our economy has transitioned from a manufacturing economy to a services economy, I think the same sort of thing is going to happen where 20 years from now, most companies, two thirds of their workforces will be outside the US and one third will be in the US. And so our job will change from being administrative to supervising administrators, right? And I don't think that that will be a bad thing for the US because I think that that is a higher thinking function. It is a higher paid function. And I think it's good news for the country. But what's bad news is businesses that don't go through this transition, I don't think that they can compete anymore. They're going to get to the point where they simply are non-competitive and will go out of business. No, I agree. Now, have you had any learning curves with, with, I mean, managing this many people? Because at the end of the day, you need the leverage, the human leverage to be able to build the team for everybody to grow, to get to the next level. But as far as, especially with as much as you guys are doing with your team, but has there been anything along the way that has been like huge hurdles or fires that you have to put out on a regular basis? A lot of them. So the virtual assistant piece is not easy at all. In yeah. fact, I think it's easier to just hire people in the US and live with them. This is actually harder to do mm. because of two reasons. One, the quality. So there's just in the Philippines, I think there's 300,000 virtual assistants. Sure. I would like to work with possibly 5% of those, 3 to 5% of those. And finding my way to those 3 to 5% has been quite challenging. And we've had to basically do a lot of systems and processes like the uh, Tony Robbins disk test, IQ tasks, tests of their, their equipment, tests of their internet speeds. And even then we end up with people that just simply cannot stay awake at night. Because I do not work with virtual assistants that don't work at their nighttime, our day, daytime. So we want them to work our daytime and be available on Slack from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Mm. Pacific. 
And to do that, some of them just don't have the ability. So the, one of the big lessons that we learned is if they haven't already worked at nighttime for five years, we just don't employ them, yeah. right? So they've kind of worked out their life and how they make their life work while working at night. They worked it out. Maybe they're, they've got a nanny or they've got mom taking care of kids, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So I think experience is such a big deal that we, we don't hire rookie VAs, which means that we pay a lot more than everybody else does. Mm-hmm. I like that. Cool. I'm trying to think, is there anything else that you would think would be valuable to the listeners when hiring out a virtual assistant? Well, I think the, the, the biggest piece would be how to get started. So yeah. if you want something that is, you know, very kind of quick and dirty, there's a outfit out there called MOD, M-O-D. So, so Google them, MOD Virtual Assistants. I don't believe that that's the exact website, you know, name. MOD, I think, stands for My Outsourced Desk or My Outdesk. Uh, so you might want to Google that as well. So sure. the least hands-off option or hands-on option is to use a service like Maud, which basically is it's their virtual assistant that you're renting, right? So that's going to cost you about nine or 10 bucks an hour, right? For that virtual assistant. But you have no headache at all. You just go to Maud and say, give me two virtual assistants and you have two virtual assistants that day. Yeah. Right? The second option, which is cheaper is to go to a, a company like Chris Ducker's virtual staff finder. Yep. And those guys it's your employee, but they will find the employee for you. So you're, you're basically paying a staffing fee, but now once you've interviewed the person, the person's yours, yep. right? And then the third option, which is what we are using, which is, which is the most difficult, and, but also the most reasonably priced in the long run is go directly to upwork.com uh, or onlinejobs.ph and basically post there and then do your own interviews what I would tell you is probably take the easiest path when you get started and then over time migrate over to Upwork.com for maximum efficiency. Yep. But you probably don't want to start with Upwork.com because a lot of people are just defeated by the process of finding VAs. So they just hire the first one that they interview. And my advice is you got to be interviewing at least six or seven of these people. Yep. And so it's much easier to use Virtual Staff Finder or MOD to give you six interviews than it is for you to do it yourself. So the first time, you're just trying to learn how to work with virtual assistants. Don't make your job any harder. Yeah, I believe we went through at least seven. It might have been eight, though, before we got our rock star. And yeah, it's a process. But also, I believe having like clear, detailed instructions of what you're doing on a daily basis in your business so you can pass those on. And if you can systemize that, like, record exactly what you're doing or, or want to be done. So you can just pass it on to them like, here, watch this video. Everything is answered in this video. If you have any questions afterwards, reach out to me and then we can go from there, give them a task or two to, to try to complete. I think those are setting it up for success. When you I ever guess. have the mindset of like, here, take this and turn it into something good. Like That's I, never going to work. It's never right? going to work. So yeah. It's the video recording that's the best way. My tip is you hit it on the head, right? Record the video and talk in the video. You don't have to be overly structured in the video as long as you're basically showing them what, what they're meant to be doing. Sure. We use a tool called Loom. So I highly recommend it. It's uh, loom.com. It becomes a Chrome browser plugin and allows us to uh, you know, record our video, record uh, our screens, and we send out those Loom recordings all the time. Yeah, no, I agree. Awesome. Well, I love it, Neil. I appreciate you so much. There's tremendous value on this podcast. So, I mean, you just gave an hour of your time. What can the listeners do to give back to you? Well, firstly, I think we, you know, if you're looking to be passive investors, 
Yeah. Our armies in the Philippines, the Efficiency Center with its delinquency management, reputation management, renewal management, community building, mega leasing, mega marketing are completely unique to the U.S. There, there's no other syndicator in the U.S. that is even attempted to build these. Yep. We're done building them. So if that's something that's interesting to you to protect your passive investment, please come talk with us. We have projects that are open and you can see them at growcapitus.com. That's G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com. Also, if you're interested in learning what I do for a living, which is basically multifamily, check out multifamilyu.com. That's multifamily university, multifamilyu.com. And if you're interested in taking a zero pitch bootcamp, it's the only zero pitch bootcamp in the US for multifamily check out multifamilyu.com slash bootcamp. And I think you'll be amazed at the sort of reviews that we get for that bootcamp. They're ridiculously over the top because people like the fact that everything is structured. Everything is provided step by step. Students are paired together. Students are, are set up for success. We teach equity raising. And we're not teaching concepts. We're teaching implementation. Everything that, that we do is about implementation. So if you like the real focus system, imagine a multifamily bootcamp with two dozen different topics being that specific for every single topic. So So you literally give them everything. They just need to take action on it afterwards. Exactly. That's the one thing we cannot do, right? We we can, we can only take the horse to water, but boy, I promise you, I'm going to take you within one millionth of an inch of the water. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That, 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 that last millionth is yours. Our next bootcamp is in Los Angeles on December 6th. It's three full days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three really full days you're pretty much, you know, going to get five or six hours of sleep at the most. <laughs> I love that. So you've actually taught now at these, uh, at these events, hundreds of students, mm-hmm. over 4,000 webinar students as well. Well, the webinars, we're, we're up to about 15,000 people that have watched our webinars. And those webinars are on Multifamily University's website, so multifamilyu.com. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's, that's a true impact right there how many people you're helping, giving them the tangible steps that they can actually grasp and, and yeah, have there, no there's questions. There's so much. I, our website has, you know, you know world-class lawyers talking about syndication. Our website has people about talking about equity raising. Our website has people talking about really every topic that you can imagine, uh, underwriting. It's all there. It's all free. Enjoy it. Yeah. If you want it in a structured format, come to the bootcamp. Yep. But you don't, you know, if, if you're somebody that can work within an unstructured format, the information is all on our website. I love that. I love it. Neil, I appreciate you so much. Is there anything that the listeners or, or myself can do for you? Yeah. Join our Magic of Multifamily Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. We answer just about every question anybody has ever thrown at us on the Magic of Multifamily Facebook group. It is the fastest growing multifamily Facebook group in the US. So hopefully we'll see you there. I love that. So we're going to put uh, all the show notes, any links to any of uh, your products or Mm -hmm. how people can get a hold of you. But if you don't mind, can you just list out a couple different ways that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm going to do that right now. I love it. And then for me, you guys can always reach out to me on uh, BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Otherwise, Instagram, BrandonElliottInvestments or Facebook.com slash BrandonElliottREI. And then, yeah, you can just verbally mention it as well if, if you'd like, Neil. Sure. Just let people know how, how they can get a hold of you. The best way to get a hold of me is through Facebook. Join okay. the Magic Multifamily group and you'll see me there. Connect with me directly. I actually read my own Facebook posts, even though most of them are answered by the virtual assistants, <laughs> but I am reading all of them. 
I love that. Yeah. At first, when I knew that you had that many virtual assistants, I was like, there's no way I'm actually going to be able to physically talk to this man. And so it was awesome that you did respond back and we were able to communicate. Fantastic. This has been fun. Hopefully we'll continue the conversation through Facebook. Yeah. I appreciate you so much, Neil. You're the man. Like I said, everyone, if if you guys, please, you found value in this, make sure you share this out to somebody else that needs to hear it and get this contact. I mean, Neil has just given so much information. So take advantage of the free additional sites and every, all the products that he has available for you guys. It's uh, definitely worth the investment and uh, always go check out Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and let me know what you guys think. Till next time, guys, stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.